0: Good morning again. Good morning. Now the people online can hear me. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Have a great Easter, man. It's uh, it seems like it was just yesterday that we were in the book of James, but it's actually been it's been a month since we've been in the book of James. And so when Scott said we're going to be back in the book of James, we're really we're continuing, and we're on um, the end of chapter four, and in the next. Couple weeks, we'll go in chapter five, and then James is finished. So I hope you guys remember exactly where we left off at the end. Everybody, you know, right, if you've got your notes, I know some of you do, you know exactly where we left off. But um, for those who just need a little refresher, remember the book of James is just so intensely practical. James is not about a whole lot of high-level messiahship theology and, and genealogies and things. James is not all about that. He's like, look, now that you have been given new life in Christ, your life needs to look like it. Your life needs to reflect the fact that you've been given the gift of new life in Christ. And if your life doesn't look like that, if people can't look at you and tell that that has happened in your life, then what value is it? Now, it's easy to look and go like, I've got salvation in Christ, so I can just continue to live my life however I live my life, and and I'll get mine in the end, which is true, but you're leaving out so much of the mission, the reason that we are here on this earth still, and we don't get raptured the day that we give our life to Christ. Wouldn't that be something? Gave your life to Christ, and you were immediately raptured because there was nothing left for you to do here on this earth that's not how it works. That would be both awkward and wrong. But that's not how it works because we have a job. When our eternity starts on that day that we say yes to Jesus, we are empowered with the Holy Spirit and we are empowered with the Holy Spirit for a reason. And that reason is to use that power, the very power of Jesus given to us to go out and make a difference in this world to glorify God, to draw people to Christ. That's what we're here for. And so we get caught up in all the extras of life, all the things that are going on, and everybody's got things going on. But it's been that way since the beginning of time. If you ever think that how busy we are or how crazy things are now is somehow unique to our time frame in history, it's not. The things are different. But the idea is the same and what it all boils down to is the enemy of your soul wants to distract you from everything that God has for you. And ultimately what he'd like to do is steal everything that God has for you. And if he can, keep you from ever claiming those gifts to begin with. That's his entire life. And he's got a legion of demons who come alongside him in that, mat, in that mission every single day, every single minute of every single day. So if you think you're not in a spiritual battle, you're probably gonna lose that battle because I'm telling you, we're all in one and it happens all the time. And so the book of James helps us to see those things that just by our actions, we're either partnering with the works of God or we're partnering with the works of the enemy. And there's very little middle ground. There's very little neutral ground. You're either doing one or you're doing the other. And that's why James wrote this letter, I think. And we're going to see that here today. So last time, Pastor Gabe was the last one to actually teach in the book of James. And what she taught was this idea, essentially, that pride and humility cannot coexist. Humility over and over again. There are hundreds of scriptures in the Bible that talk about the importance of humility, living a humble life. And I won't go into those right now, but the flip side of humility is pride. And the flip side of humility, pride is a demon. Pride is a demon spirit. Did you know that? Now, I'm not just talking about, like, I'm proud of my daughter. She did great in, in classes or anything. I'm not talking about that kind of pride. I'm talking about the pride where we internalize things that happen around us as somehow, look what I did, and that's a demon spirit that manifests in your life, and it's a spirit of independence that partners with that spirit of pride, and that's entirely what this message is about here today. So this section in James that we're going to talk about here today, it's chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, so it's short. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, at the little basket in the back corner there, we've got loaner Bibles. Here's another thing. If you have somebody in your family, I'm not talking give them out like candy, but if you have somebody in your family, a neighbor, a friend who you think needs a Bible, who doesn't have one, there are some that are gift Bibles back there. They're very nice, but you'll know the difference because they're wrapped in paper. Please take one. That's what they're for. We want to reach out and make sure that the word of God gets into the hands of people who desperately need it. So feel free to do that. So, again, this this, this section takes that idea of pride and humility not coexisting and takes it further. It also dovetails very nicely into, I think, the Easter message, which if you remember, one of the last things I said was God's will be done. We say it all the time, but can you really embrace that? If you can really embrace that and really live that, then you're going to have a blessed life. And this dovetails into what we're talking about here today. So up until now, again, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, my Bible subtitles it, Warning Against Independence. Some say Warning Against Boasting. Some say Don't Boast or different subtitles of this section. But up until now, James has been kind of speaking generally about interpersonal relationships and how to live our lives amongst each other and and, and among the world and our attitudes about how to live a godly life. But now, you might be tempted, especially think about if you're the audience that he wrote this letter to. Bunch Bunch of Jews who had been scattered, mostly due to persecution, scattered from wherever their homes were, wherever their businesses were, And they essentially fled into the countryside, and they're trying to establish lives in these places that they are. Now, part of the Hebrew identity from the very beginning has been the idea of of service and business, right? A lot of that comes from slavery, that they were enslaved in Egypt. And the more you could do, the more valuable you were in terms of the labor you produced or the baskets that you could weave or whatever it is that you did, the more valuable you were as a human being in that culture and that became very ingrained in the Hebrew identity and so the idea of being a merchant or being things like that is very very much central but James is going to kind of poke at that right now so let's see what he does here I'm going to read the whole thing to you it's only only a handful of verses (coughs) excuse me Somebody remind me to mute my mic before I cough. Jeremy, get your hand on the trigger button and just mute me if you see me getting ready to cough. I'm kidding. James 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. Anybody heard that last verse? I've heard that, I've used that, and to me, that, that applies not just to these individuals, but it applies in so many ways. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But think about that idea of who he's writing this letter to, these, these Hebrews who are, are, are just trying to make a living, because you know they've left their homes, left their established businesses and established lives, they've uprooted, and they're trying to reestablish where they are. And so the statement in 4.13 where he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such city, we've got it right here, and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, does that sound evil to anybody? I mean, really, it doesn't sound like that bad. Like, sounds reasonable to me. James is going to tell you that's just the opposite of Okay that in fact it is a problem. Let's get into it. Again, the typical life of a merchant, you know, they had big cities, big um, established trading centers like Tyre, Sidon, Caesarea, Crete, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonia, Corinth, Rome, and so many more that wherever they lived, they would travel from city to city. It wasn't like now where you just set up one store and people would come to you. You would travel around. And in fact, I've got a map here. This is just, and I know it it's, might be hard to see, but you can see the spider web of lines going all over the place. These are just the established trade routes that they would use to go from city to city and, and village to village, and obviously visiting all the villages along the way. But they would do this, in most cases, on foot, carrying all their stuff. Sometimes they'd have a camel, sometimes they might have a hand cart, But it wasn't like we'll take a truck or we'll fly. These aren't airline routes. They would walk this in most cases. And they'd go there and they'd do business. But the issue here is not doing business, all right? You can take that down. It's the illusion of control, and the desire for human beings to produce the outcome that we think is best based on the information that we have. So in James, in verse 14, James 4, 14, he says, yet, so you've said these things, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, we'll do business. James says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. See the problem there? You're making plans for a year down the road. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. And that idea is found all throughout Scripture. You know, we've heard the common saying, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Genesis 3, Ecclesiastes 3, and pretty much the whole book of Job tells us how fragile, really, and fleeting our lives are but we tend to dig our heels in and establish and say, this is my life and I'm directing it this way and here are my plans as if we are the ones in control of those things. Now it kind of sounds, and you'd be tempted to think, okay, James is telling us don't make any plans. Keep your calendar open because you don't know what tomorrow's gonna... That is not at all what he's saying. Let me make it clear. So Luke 14, 28, 31 says this. I'll read it to you. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who are watching it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he has a strong enough army with 10,000 men to face the one coming against him with 20,000. Planning is important. It's important to plan. He's, James is not saying don't make plans. You need to consider. We're also told to pursue wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 and 9 says, The beginning of wisdom is, anybody know? College. Acquire wisdom. College, No. Knowledge. College. I think it's a college. beginning of wisdom is college. Hmm. <laughs> That's a whole nother message for a whole nother time. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom and with all your possessions acquire understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty, wisdom, something to pursue, something to be treasured, something to be exalted. And we're told to make plans based on that wisdom. Proverbs 15:22 Without consultation plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. So who's the best counselor for wisdom? Jesus. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit will give you all the wisdom that you ask for and then add into that a multitude of counselors who are these people surrounding you in here, people in your life. That's why it's important to surround yourself with wise counsel and minimize those who counsel you to go ahead and jump off the roof. Let's see what happens. I had plenty of those counselors when I was a kid. Paying for it now. Here's the solution then. In proper James, straightforward, no holds barred fashion, James 4.15. Instead, remember he's saying like, why you say what you're going to do in all these places? You're just a vapor. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. Whatever the this and that is, fill in the blank for your lives. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Whatever you've got in mind, submit it to the Lord first. Ask for his wisdom, his guidance. And then, when you've received that, your plans will be set. And you can do that. Paul knew this, too. If you look at Paul's epistles... Paul, by the way, who wrote the vast majority of of the New Testament, he always said, Lord willing, I will. Did you ever notice that? Here's an example, 1 Corinthians 4.19. Paul says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. I love the rest of this verse, so I'm going to share it with you. And I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. I love that all the people who are arrogant and prideful, I'm going to come to you, Lord willing, I'll come to you, and we'll find out if their words have the kind of power that they think. I just love that verse. But James here says, since you haven't been submitting your plans to God first, since you haven't been saying, Lord willing, you've been laying all these, you know, that that map I showed you, they'd sit and lay out their plans and I'll stay here, and I'll do this, and I'll get food here, and I'll do... They were spending so much time planning their roots and their itinerary for the next year that they were letting the things that they ought to be devoted to. Showing up in church, fellowshipping with one another, supporting one another, loving one another, all the things that they're called to do as new believers in Christ, they were setting those aside and just saying... I don't have time to do that today. I need to plan out where I'm going to be a year from now. This is what James is speaking against here. Verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. That's a big statement. Boasting in your arrogance just to say, next year I'm going to be doing this and that. Who here hasn't said, Maybe next year I'll do this or next year I'll do that or in two years or five years or retirement plans or things. We've all done that. James is not saying that's wrong, but it is wrong to lay those plans without submitting them to the Lord first. That's a big difference. It's okay to use wisdom. It's okay to plan. It's okay to make all those plans, submitting them to God first. He's not condemning business or planning, just doing it without God. Now, the final verse in this section, this is where we're going to put our focus for the, rest, for the rest of this. Verse 17, James 4, 17. So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. Now he's tying that into the statement that he just made. That's the punctuation, that's the exclamation point on all the statements that he just made. And what's the bottom line of all these statements about making plans and doing all this and your life being a vapor and all this? What's what's the bottom line there? Submit yourself to God. Submit your plans to God. Don't be so arrogant to think that you are controlling all these things. It's a spirit of independence. Independence. Our society exalts the idea of being independent, doesn't it? Always has for my entire life. Oh, look at Jimmy. He's three years old. He's so independent. He does his own thing. And we want to nurture that independence in our children. We're raising an entire generation of people who are now adults who think that being independent, nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me right from wrong. Whatever right is, is what I think it is. Whatever wrong is, is what I think it is. And none of you can tell me any different. It's a spirit of independence, which just like pride, is a demon spirit. This statement, for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin, it generally applies to all Christians In all situations, it's not enough to know what you should do. You have to do it. That's what he's saying. For him who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for him it is sin. So, recapping, if that's going to be the focus of the rest of this message here, what's the right thing to do according to James? Generally, it's be doers of the word. Right, We could boil it down to that. But he's been very clear. If you read James, if you've been following along with us, he's very clear on all the things we ought to do. Let me recap just the the top 15 here. Count trials as joy from James 1-2. If you lack wisdom, ask God. That's verse 5. Ask in faith, James 1-6. Take glory in your humiliation. That's verse 6. Oh, that's verse 10, I'm sorry. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. James 1.19. Bridle your tongue. James 1.26. Love your neighbor as yourself. Chapter 2, verse 8. Submit to God. Chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil. Chapter 4, verse 7. Draw near to God. Chapter 4, verse 8. Mourn our sin. Verse 9. Don't lust over what you don't have. James 4, 2. Speak well and not evil of each other. James 4, 11, Don't judge each other. Also 4, 11. Be kind and generous. That's one of the first things he says back in chapter 1. Be kind and generous. So... That's only a partial list. If you've been following along, there's so many more that you can pull out. But he's not being ambiguous. He's not saying, just do the right thing, and good luck figuring out what that is. He's laying out exactly what it is here, but he's saying, you have to do it. You have to do it. You can't just know it. Knowing it does nobody any good. You have to go do it. Faith is proven by our actions. But for this chapter specifically, what we're looking at right now in this section, he's talking about the attitude that we can do anything good without God. Because our fleshly impulse is not usually going to lead us down the road of doing those things. That's just not who we are. When we plan our future without submitting it to God first, we're inviting... When you plan your future there are two things that can direct that future. Three, if you want to include our feeble human wisdom, either the Holy Spirit is going to direct your steps or Satan's going to direct your steps. Again, hear me, there's not much middle ground there. And so when you plan your future, like what James is saying here, when you plan your future without submitting it to God, what you're doing is you are inviting a spirit of pride, or a spirit of independence to come in and direct your steps. I don't know about you, but that's not what I want. When we assert our independence, it's the exact opposite of where Christ wants us to be, dependent. We are to be dependent on jesus dependent on the holy spirit in our lives and when we assert our independence we're saying okay i know all this i know christ died for me on the cross i know i have the holy spirit in me but you know what i think i got this i don't i don't need that i can figure it out the demon spirit of independence is the one that's going to be whispering that in your ear you got this you don't need to submit it to god When we do that, we're not walking in humility. And in fact, what we're doing is opening the door to demonic influence in our life. I know I'm talking about demons and Satan a lot. That's because it is so important to understand that this isn't some concept to think about someday. This isn't something that... When I get to heaven, I'm gonna see the demons and I'm gonna understand this is a battle that rages in our lives every day, every minute of every day. And it's our choice. Unfortunately, we've been given the freedom in Christ to make decisions. And sometimes those decisions are good to follow Him, follow Christ, and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But so many times, so many times, If God's not giving us guidance, Satan's right there. If we're not asking the Lord for guidance, Satan is right there. And Satan manifests not only as a voice in your head, not only as a feeling inside you, but as billboards, TV commercials, just this general societal attitude that we have of, hey, just figure it out. Just do it on your own. If God's not giving us guidance, Satan will. And it ties back to one of the key verses at the beginning of chapter four. Remember this one. We've we've heard this so many times. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's that pride versus humility. Which one do you want? Do you want God's opposition in your life or do you want God's grace in your life? And we get to make the choice. Verse seven, submit therefore to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Is there any verse, any single verse that gives a more clear division of if you're not submitting yourself to God, you're in opposition to God and you're operating in pride. That's exactly what that means. They're tied together for a reason. I want God's grace And God's grace comes through humility. It doesn't come through an independent spirit. Resist the devil. The devil is going to want to tell you to be independent. Be prideful. Boast in your arrogance. I don't want God's opposition to that. I want his grace in my life. So in order to stand against the tricks and the plans... In the schemes of Satan, we need to be fully dependent on and fully submitted to God. You can't be independent. Independence is a demon spirit, and it is the very essence of sin. Hear me on this, though. Independence is not the same thing as freedom. Freedom and independence are sometimes conflated with each other. They are not the same thing. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul said this very clearly. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord grants us freedom, but Satan wants us to exercise that freedom independently. Does that make sense? I'm going to repeat that. The Lord grants us freedom. Satan wants us to practice that freedom independently. Here's the definition, the very definition of an independent spirit. I took this, all credit to a ministry called Pursue Him. I love the way that they phrased it. An independent spirit is one that seeks self-glory, operates in conceit, and often is in rebellion to the authority established by God and therefore against the word of God. People with independent spirits are barriers to the works of the kingdom of God, and can destroy marriages, churches, families, and businesses. An independent spirit is going to do everything it can to avoid being in unity. In unity with the Holy Spirit, in unity with the body of Christ, will all be barriers for the independent spirit. The writer of Hebrews knew that that was going to happen, even more so as the end of days grew nearer. Hebrews ten twenty three to 25 says, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the days drawing near. That's often taught as, We just need to get butts in the seats. We just need to get people to church. So let's don't give up meeting together. It was written to the same audience that James is writing to, saying, look, you've gotten so caught up in your lives doing your own things that you've forgotten that as a body, as a body of believers in Christ, we are so much more powerful we are so much more able to encourage one another, to stand against, to identify the lies of the enemy. Can any of you by yourself, as you're just walking down the street, go, you know, I'm I'm operating in a spirit of independence right now. I probably shouldn't be. Maybe I'll just change my ways right now. It takes someone else, someone else close to you. Maybe a family member, maybe somebody sitting in this church right now, in this body of Christ right here, to say, you know, have you given that plan to the Lord and let him weigh in before you make it? Maybe you're being a little too independent. Maybe you're being a little too prideful. Those gentle corrections that we are told as a body of believers, this is where they come from, each other. The enemy wants to divide us and to separate us from the safety of this body, of this flock. That's the illustration that's used all the time. The enemy prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We as the body of Christ at this church, in this place, we are a flock. And together, we have protection from the enemy. But the enemy wants to separate us from that. He's going to use, how many people have you heard say, I don't really go to church anymore because, fill in the blank. He's going to use offense some random offense, busyness in our lives. Sometimes it's just the convenience of technology. Oh, it's so easy to just sit at home and watch watch a message. I can watch it later because my life is busy on a Sunday morning, but Sunday night when I'm getting ready to go to bed, I can go back and listen to the message. Technology enables that. We lean on it a little too much sometimes. The ease of church jumping. I've talked to so many people who are like, you know, where's your church? Having the chapel business here, doing weddings and memorials for people who aren't necessarily a part of this body, lets me talk to hundreds of people a month about issues like this. Do you have a church? Where's your local church? And I go, I have three or four that I go to. I like the worship here, I like the teaching here, and I like the coffee here. (laughs) So I bounce around. That's not okay. It isn't. It's okay to visit another church, especially if we're in another part of town or just to see what this one's like or hang out with a friend. You should be engaged and fully committed to the body of Christ that he has called you to. And if it's here, we want you to be fully engaged, fully committed and all in to this body. And if it's not here, then I bless you to find one that you can because that's where the power comes in of being a part of a body. And if this is the body, we want that. But we need to be all in. We need to live that life. These consumer attitudes and acceptance of generic spirituality. I don't go to church, but I'm spiritual. What does that even mean? I've never been able to have anybody articulate what that means. What it means is I got either offended or tired of going to church or I'm busy and I just don't go to church anymore. But I still say I'm a believer. There's so many more things that the enemy uses to divide us. But ultimately, the demonic goal is to isolate you and to encourage you to be your own spiritual leader. What could possibly go wrong with that? All you feel well-equipped to be your own spiritual leader? No. I'm not saying I am either. It's Jesus that is. But ironically, an independent spirit, an independent demon spirit must submit itself to the power of Jesus Christ. The very power of Jesus Christ that is in you if you are a believer. You are given that power. You are given that delegated authority of Christ It's the same Christ that dwells in all of us. And we have that power over the spiritual realm. We have to always be on guard and guard your hearts against demons working in your lives. And again, it's so hard. Who here can see it on their own? Sometimes, if you're fully submitted in prayer, the Lord can show you. But oftentimes, we need somebody to just tap us on a shoulder and go, hey, have you thought about that thing that you just said? We have to just take a step back that's why we need each other we need the power of christ to stand against it here's how we're going to wrap up this service i'm a few seconds over and and we're right at the end but we're going to pray a little bit differently today if you are willing we're going to do a very small miniature deliverance session right now And when i say deliverance i mean deliverance from the lies and the schemes and the strongholds of the enemy. And what it's going to require is participation on your part. That's it. You're not going to have to raise a hand. You're not going to have to tell a story, give a testimony, or anything like that. This is all done in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to submit yourself in prayer to the Lord and ask him if you have a spirit of independence because that's what this section is about working in your lives, okay? And then by the authority of Jesus Christ, we're gonna kick that spirit out of our lives. You with me? If you don't wanna participate, you don't have to. But if you do, then I want you just to close your eyes and I'm gonna pray over you and I want you to seek the Holy Spirit. So Father God, we just lift this time up to you, Lord, and you see our innermost being. You see our innermost thoughts. We can't hide our thoughts and our attitudes from you. Demons cannot hide from you. So Lord, whether we know it or not, you know the things that are afflicting us, the things that are lying to us. And so Father, we just ask you as we sit here right now in all humility, Lord, speak to us right here in our seats, individually, speak to us. And show us, is there a, a spirit of independence in my life? Have I allowed a spirit of independence to run roughshod in my life and to, and to cause me to act in a way that is contrary to humility and dependence on you? Have I allowed a spirit of pride to affect my relationships around me Have I partnered with a spirit of pride, with a spirit of independence? And Lord, while we're at it, there are people here in this room who have other demons that are afflicting them right now. Show them. Show them. If the Lord is showing you, whether it's just a yes or green light or just a feeling that you know that there is a spirit at work. The Lord knows what that spirit is and we have two ways to drive it out, two steps that we must do. Number one, we repent. So if you have that spirit, say this prayer with me. Father God, I repent of partnering with this demon spirit. I do not want its influence in my life. I want your spirit in my life. And I repent of ever thinking that this spirit was somehow helpful to me. I repent of allowing it in to begin with. I do not want this spirit in my life. Lord, I ask you, I ask you to take it from me. And the next step is a declaration. The declaration goes like this. Demon spirit, you have no authority in my life. You have no place in my life. I do not want you. I will not partner with you. I will no longer listen to your lies. I see the effects that you're having in my life, and I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Right now, in the name of Jesus, demon spirits, you must flee. You have no authority in my life, my family's life, my household You must go back to the pit of hell where you belong. You are no longer a part of my life. I don't want your voice. I don't want your influence. Demon spirit, be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you flood into my spirit right now. You flood into me. All those little nooks and crannies and crevices and hiding places where the demon spirit resided. Spill into those places, fill my body between bones and marrow, between every single cell, that there would be no open spot in my body for a demon spirit to reside, no hiding place, because your spirit was inhabiting every part of me. I submit all parts of me to you. I ask that your spirit just overflow. I praise you for your power in my life. Help me to see when I'm tempted by those spirits and I will rebuke them in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for your power. I thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen, amen. So guys, thank you. If anybody here, that can be a powerful thing. When we do deliverance sessions, our deliverance ministry, we sit down for an hour and a half to two hours. Jesus can work in a a split second. So if Jesus did something powerful in your life, praise him for that and believe it. It's real. It's real. We have prayer ministers in the back. Look for them, somebody with a prayer lanyard. And if something is going on that you're not quite sure about, you just don't know how to feel or maybe you need a little bit more help getting over that stubborn demon. See one of them. I know it sounds weird. We're not going to take you somewhere and do something weird to you. Well, Scott's back there. He's slightly weird. <laughs> but if you need help understanding what happened, see someone. I'll be here during this time of worship. If you just need to sit in your seats and pray and just to just process what happened, do that. That God is powerful. Jesus delivers from demonic in, in just a split second. But that demon's gonna want back in. He's gonna go knocking on those doors, jiggling the handles, looking for a way to get back in. Now it's our job. Okay? We've submitted that to Christ. It's our job not to open that door again. Stay humble, stay dependent, dependent on Christ in your life. Submit your plans to Him, submit your heart and your will to him, crucify your very flesh set aside the things of the flesh and pursue him that's how we stand against the enemy going back in our lives and if you need help beyond that again, see a prayer minister or we have a deliverance ministry, sign up for one you can ask us how to do that and we can go even further you out there online, same thing but let's do that and we'll just pray in closing and then we'll start with communion. We'll have two sets up here. Um, do it in a full understanding of it's what Jesus did that gave you the authority over the demonic in your life. Up here we can serve you out of self-serve in the back. But let's just do it with, with joyous hearts. Understanding that you're in a battle, the battle's been won. But we fight those, in those small wars, the small battles, we fight them every day. It's a part of a process. It's not a one and done. Okay, so let's stay tough, guys. I love you. Father, we are so thankful for this time. I'm so thankful for this body that you have called me to. I'm thankful for the power of Christ in us. So, Lord, we glorify you in the things that we do. Help direct us towards your heart and stand firm against the enemy. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.